0: I was reading this week and studying for this message tonight, and I read about Robert Louis Stevenson, something that happened in his life. It caught my attention because as a boy I read all of his books, all of his many classic writings. And as a boy himself, Robert Louis Stevenson was intrigued by the work of the old lamplighter, because in those days they had actually gas lamps on the streets, not like we do today, electric. And the work of the old lamplighter who went around with his ladder and his torch setting the streetlights ablaze for the night. One evening in Edinburgh, Scotland, as young Robert stood watching with childhood fascination, his parents heard him exclaim, Look! Look! He said, There's a man out there punching holes in the darkness. I love that. A man out there punching holes in the darkness. Lighting the candles and he saw that everywhere the candle was lit the torch was lit the darkness went away as we have come studying through the gospel of John and I noticed the other day we've already had 52 messages and we're only in chapter 8 that may be a sign of slowness Um, as we've come studying through the gospel of John we've seen Jesus punching holes in the darkness And what I realize as I think about that is as I come to study and to know the light of the world, God has called me to do the same thing. And what a thrill it is that as you go out to your job, as you live in your neighborhood, as you go to the store, to be somebody who rather than being chained by the flow and the impressions of the world around you, would be one that stands filled with the light of God and punches holes in the darkness. It's not so much a violent thing as it is a wonderful thing. It's almost a precise thing where situations come up in life and you don't have to get all mystical and begin to shake and you know get your antenna up and get messages from God. You simply wait for the right opportunity to bring the truth into the situation. Well, you're just listening, you're attending, you're involved, and you just mentioned, you know, it's amazing because the Bible says and just stick the truth right in there and there you are punching holes in the darkness and bringing the light that people so desperately need. Well, that's what Jesus was doing here as we come to John 8:12. And in John 8:12, Jesus spoke to them again saying, "I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." As I look at this, I see here that we have a couple of things. One, God's revealed light to mankind, God's guiding light to mankind, and God's universal light to mankind. Now, to get you into the picture here, and I see it vividly in my mind, especially as our trip to Israel is approaching, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He has been ministering there in the temple area, as we saw that with the study about the woman taken in adultery, And the time has come for one of their three great feasts of the year, and that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, they would go day after day, and they would be celebrating and all that they did. And in the last day, to wrap it all up, what would happen is in the evening they would have this great celebration in the temple. And they would erect these huge candelabra, these gigantic Torches, as it were, that would effectively be put up in the, um, the court of the women. There was, in the temple, you had the Gentiles' court, the court of the women, then the court of the men, the court of the priests, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. That's the way the temple was set up in Jerusalem. It was a gigantic thing. And the women had their own court. And there in the court of the women, they would set up these gigantic Menorah and light them, and it would effectively light the whole Mount Zion area. In other words, most of Jerusalem. So that the women would then come in, and they would have basically this torch-lit procession where they would bring in their own torches as well, and they would do something of a a sacred-type folk dance through the whole area, and the procession would go on long into the night. And the whole thing was to speak of when they were in the wilderness for 40 years and God was with them and how that they lived in tents and they moved around and thus for the Feast of Tabernacles they actually built these little uh, booths they called them which were built basically out of palm branches and things like that and they lived in them for that week and then at the end they would have this great glorious celebration and this was to signify how that God had been their light all through the wilderness how that they followed his light whether it was the pillar of fire by night or the cloud of glory by day which was effectively in as I see it in scriptures a blazing glorious cloud as well not just some puffy little white cloud you know that kind of went along and you know, then stopped. But God covering them, I think, even from the heat often, a glorious cloud that shielded and guided them. So this great torch-lit celebration was to commemorate the pillar of fire by night and the cloud of glory by day. So you have these gigantic torches burning. When the thing is finally over and everybody leaves, you have the whole scene sits there empty in the darkness. The pungent smell of the smoking wicks of the candles would be filling the air. By the time the sun begins to break up over the mountaintop early in the morning, as was Jesus' habit, He comes back to the temple area. And there, just as the light of the sun would be bursting over the mountainside, Jesus stands up in the midst of the whole place, with the pungent odor filling the air of these candles that had gone out, no longer showing their light. And it is in this scene that he says, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. One thing you need to know about this part of the Feast of Tabernacles where they lit these candles was that that part was these great torches. They were tradition. The Feast of Tabernacles was given to them by God. The idea of having the big torches lit on the last day, that was their idea. They said, you know, it's such a great idea to have the Feast, we ought to just add in the part about the pillar of fire. That was purely tradition. You say, why is that significant? Because Jesus has stood up to tell them the days of following God through tradition are over. And that it's time now to follow him personally and closely with him alone as the light of their life. And so that's the backdrop in which he gives us his statement. One of the things I like about studying one verse is that, especially when you come to a verse like this, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We're coming to one of the most often quoted scriptures in the Bible. And you know what happens to us is this, I think we come to Christ, we come into the family of God, and there are certain scriptures that are quoted more than others. And what happens is, even early on in the Christian life, these precious truths become cliche, such as, God works all things together for the good. When was the last time that truly affected your life? It can become cliché, such as my cup runneth over. I mean, we could go on and on with this. But this is one of those verses. And to me, one of the great benefits of slowing down to just look at the one verse that maybe has become cliché long ago in your life is to actually stop and savor what it actually means, perhaps in a way you never even did once. All along the way in the process of it just becoming a cliché in your life. First thing we see here is that when Jesus said this, it had to do with God's revealed light to mankind. God has revealed His own light. When Jesus said to them, in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light. He was saying that because of the dangers of spiritual darkness. God had come to man, to not only protect man, but rescue man. Turn in your Bible, could you, to Jeremiah Jeremiah chapter 10 to verse 23 Here is a scripture that I think of often And oddly enough I have many times forgotten where it is Even to the point that I can't even remember the right words to find it in my computer So I want you to turn there So you can mark it in your Bible So you don't forget where it is And you can remind me later But seriously, to me, this is one of the most important scriptures in the book of Jeremiah. And it applies directly to what Jesus is saying in John 8. In Jeremiah 10.23 is this statement, O Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. That statement right there, is one that you should commit to memory you should mark it in your Bible you should commit it to memory and you should think about it often because it applies to you now in the Christian life when you would tend to think up your own plan rather than praying it applies to you when when you need to come to God and wait on Him for counsel so you can avoid what will happen if you take matters into your own hands and it also applies directly to the fact that man outside of Christ on his own doesn't know the right way to go. So Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. He is saying, I have come to rescue you because of the danger of spiritual darkness. Think of it. Think of the danger of spiritual darkness in your own life. I mentioned to you that I was discussing the whole idea of drugs with my kids last night. And I was thinking as, as an afterthought of that, Long after the discussion ended, I was asking myself, why did I take all those drugs? Why did I do that? And I remember, I was thinking back in my mind, the the reasons I used to give my friends as to why I was throwing out on drugs. I remember when someone said to me, why do you smoke marijuana? I said, well, I know that a lot of people do it because they're really messed up, and uh, that it's just kind of a dependency thing. I do it because I like it. And I was asking myself the question this morning, Why did I say that? And I realized that the reason I really was smoking Is because I was really messed up, just like everybody else. And the reason I liked it Is because of all the dangers of the spiritual darkness That, that the frustration, the failures, the mistakes, the wrong turns, The wrong people in your life the heartache, the grief, and the guilt for which there is no relief in the entire lifetime of a human being unless you come to Christ. There is no relief for guilt. Thus, the reason people turn to drugs so many is because it is an escape from the guilt It is an escape from all of the frustrations and all of the dangers in the spiritual darkness. And the problem is, it takes you further into the darkness. When Jesus stands up and He says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of light, I just read that as the best news you could ever hear in your whole life. Because all around us today, people are agonizing in that darkness, and they are going in every different wrong direction. There's an interesting scripture, can you turn in your Bible to the end, to Revelation chapter 22 here in the end, there's an interesting scripture here, in the case you're dabbling in drugs and you've been convinced by some idiot that it's cool, <laughs> sorry but that's just a lightweight phrase for the person that's convinced you of that in case you're convinced of that i want to take you to the end of the bible and in the end of the bible jesus is talking and he says here in revelation 22 12 he says and behold i am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. And then he said this, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. That's the new Jerusalem. It's heaven. Who are those that are shut out? He says, But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Who's shut out of the kingdom of heaven? People that live in these things as opposed to walking with Christ in the light. If you're one of those people who's been duped into believing that, that drugs is a cool thing. Drugs is the most cold-hearted thing that will ever happen to you. The most cruel thing that will ever happen to you. Because if you go on to live in it, you will take your place If you choose that instead of Christ, you will take your place outside the kingdom of God without our sorcerers. And the Greek word there is pharmakia from where we get the word pharmacy, which is where you buy your drugs in the drugstore. So, shut out of the kingdom are all the drug addicts, if we could put it in a real modern translation. If you think it's cool, if you're going that way, if you're saying, well, I've got Jesus and a Bible, and, you know, I have my pot too, and I have, you know, it's just a full orbed life. You can't have both, and you need to choose one or the other. And if you choose the drugs in your darkness, as opposed to Jesus, you will be shut out of the kingdom of God It isn't that drugs or no drugs take you to heaven or shut you out. It's that if you choose drugs, you won't choose Jesus. Admit it to yourself. The only reason, and here's what I'm getting at. The dangers of spiritual darkness, for which Jesus is the only answer, is that you grope around and you grab all the wrong things. And those things you end up grabbing deeper and harder and in a more lasting way. And in the end, you can't let go. And you're shut out of the kingdom of God not because Jesus didn't want you in but because you chose something other than Him. Don't fall in that trap because Jesus is the light of the world and if you follow Him, you won't walk in darkness. You will have the light of life. And don't just sit and excuse yourself as if it's something else other than drugs because that's just one example. But we have a few more points here. We're only on point A of the first point here in the first part of the outline so you realize have you thought about that the dangers of spiritual darkness they are endless false religions I mean false turns false guidance the whole thing I love the account of Ray stedman that he shares in his commentary on John he says years ago while driving alone from Dallas to Southern California I picked up a couple of young hitchhikers as we neared the entrance of the Grand Canyon I asked them if they had ever seen the canyon They said no, so we decided to spend the night there. It was late, on a moonless night, when we turned off the road. We parked and found an open space to lay our sleeping bags. Though we could hardly see our hands before our eyes, we went to sleep under the stars. When I awoke in the morning, the sun was up and I yawned and I stretched my arms out, just threw them back only to find that my left arm dropped off into a void. He said, I just turned slightly to the left and looked down and realized that we had made our beds on the edge of the cliff that dropped straight down into the Grand Canyon the night before. If we had taken two more steps we would have gone right over the edge to our deaths. He said, I gave grateful thanks in my morning devotion that day for the light of the morning sun. And I learned an important lesson, a spiritual one as well as a literal one. And that is this, it is very dangerous to wander around in the dark. And it is especially dangerous in the spiritual sense because the way of man, as Jeremiah says, is not in himself it is not in man to direct his own steps. I'm reminded what it says in Job 33:28: he will deliver his soul from going into the pit and his life shall see light. Jesus is that light. And so because of the dangers of spiritual darkness, but also because God's light and glory must be selectively revealed. To me, this is a very profound thing to contemplate. And you'll see how it works its way up to something that's a great misconception today. When you talk about God, when you talk about God in His, well, in His infinitude, which would sweep in all of His attributes, holiness, love, justice, judgment, peace, all of the attributes of God, in His infinitude, It's the kind of thing where we cannot even comprehend God in all of His glory. If God didn't reveal His light to man His way, and if He didn't do it selectively and through Christ as He did it, it could be very dangerous for human beings. Very dangerous. Listen to the words of John Owen, one of the greatest Christian minds that ever lived in church history. He said, should the Lord Jesus appear now to any of us in His majesty and glory, it would not be to our edification and consolation. Now follow this. He said, for we are not meet nor able by the power of any light or grace that we may have received or can receive in this life to bear the immediate appearance of the full blazing glory of God. The human being cannot bear it. So that to have Jesus stand up and say, I am the light of the world. He that follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's God's way of revealing himself to man carefully. Lest man is invited to come any different way and suddenly stumble into the blazing glory of God and find himself consumed. It's a thought that you might not have thought about before, but the more you think about it, the more you are grateful for Jesus Christ and that you're not left to your own divine God. He comes looking for you. You see this great reality in the life of the Apostle John. Can you turn in your Bible to John chapter 21 to verse 20? Here is a man, John 21:20. 20. Here's a man, and in writing in his gospel, which we are studying, he's humble. He refers to himself never by name But always in this never-ending awe that God would love him And he says He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved And in the end of John, when Jesus is commissioning Peter And he's all concerned about what's going to happen to the other guys Peter turns around and sees John following along And he's kind of diverting the discussion with Jesus Well, what about him? And that's kind of the scene, but what I just simply want you to see here is this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? I draw your attention to that simply to show you that John was so close to Jesus as a friend, as his Lord, in his flesh, that at the Last Supper, the night before his death, the one that was so close to him, that when they were wondering who the betrayer was, he could simply, the way they were arranged, reclining in the way that they were eating at the time, sort of on a couch-like thing, reclining, whether on the mats or on a couch type thing, he could have leaned back over to Jesus and they were arranged in such a way that it would have been his head then leaning right on the chest of Jesus and he would have said, leaning his head right on Jesus' chest, whispering. He would have said to him, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? But all of that shows us how close, intimate, friendly, innocent, reverently casual John was with Jesus Christ here on the earth when he was a man. To look at the stark contrast of that when he sees not the full blazing glory of God, but a much greater revelation is almost shocking. Turn in your Bible to Revelation, to chapter 1. Revelation 1. We've been to the end. We're going now to the beginning. It's funny how Jesus opens and closes the book in almost the same way. But here he begins now, John is old, 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 and he's on the island of Patmos where he's been exiled, which is basically a rock, nothing there. And there in the providence of God, feeling like he's been left in the most desolate place on earth with nothing to look at because there's no trees, nothing. It's just a rock. There, Jesus suddenly begins to reveal himself to him he has far more to look at on that island than he ever dreamed and Jesus comes and appears to him saying in verse 11 I am the Alpha the Omega the first and the last and what you see write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia Ephesus Myrna Pergamos Thyatira Sardis Philadelphia and Laodicea and he says then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and this is what he saw He says, I turned and saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. And his head and his hair were like white wool, white as snow. And I love this. Here's his glory. His eyes were like flaming fire. It's a little different than the Last Supper. When he's munching on a piece of pita bread and he turns and says, say, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? Now he's blazing glory and he just turns and this is what he sees. Eyes like a flame of fire in verse 15 and his feet were like fine brass as if refined in the furnace. In other words, just brilliant, blazing glory and his voice. Like the thundering of waterfalls, many waters, waterfalls, like standing next to Niagara Falls. Amazing. Just about the time you think God's dumped you off and there's nothing going on in your life. All of a sudden, this glorious revelation of Jesus, just so quiet, no sounds on this old deserted rock. And all of a sudden, a sound like Niagara Falls. And it's the voice of the Son of God sound of many waters. And then in verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance, that's the piercing, precise, cutting nature of his word and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I casually leaned my head over on his chest. I said, hey Lord, what's happening, man? Here on the island, man, I love it. Aloha! No. He says, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And there he was, out cold. Why? Because of the glory. Because of the glory. When I say to you that God's light and glory must be selectively revealed, it's really an understatement. You remember that Moses wanted to see the glory of God. It was the same, same situation. He said, God, I want to see your glory. And God said, you can't. You'll perish. You have no idea what you're asking. So you only got to see a little tiny bit. But you know how I love how God answers prayer. That same Moses is found on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah, the prophet, standing there John was in on that Peter, James and John standing in the glorious revelation of the transfigured Christ who effectively pulled back the curtain and gave him a glimpse of his glory he saw a little bit when God put him in the cleft of the rock years later he stands on the Mount of Transfiguration and he sees more but you see it's, it's little more and a little more so God loving man so much but in his great infinitude of glory must come to man and reveal his glory to man, reveal his light to man, his way. And that is what is happening as Jesus says, he is the light of the world. He has revealed his own light. And another thing here is that God has revealed his only light. To me, to follow this whole line of thought to this point, leads to the obvious conclusion that obviously then God's taken care of revealing Himself to the human race and how you get to Him. Because if in fact, for all the reasons we have just discussed, you can't just come stumbling into the presence of God. It's like, you know, I know He's around here somewhere. I've been on this path and everybody has their own path and I'll find God on my own way, in my own good time. And then all of a sudden you come running around the corner and you're in the glory of God. You would explode into five billion pieces. You could not take the glory. It'd be very dangerous. Thus, follow this. It becomes so obvious. There are not many ways to God. There can't be many ways to God. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me, or Buddha, or Muhammad, or Swami Prabhupada, Yogananda, or Bapak, or, you know, that 13 year old kid, or... You know, a while back, that kid guru that finally had too many Rolls Royces so everybody quit following him. But he doesn't say that. He says, me. It becomes so obvious that as opposed to finding God on any one of many paths, there could only be one path. In Isaiah 9, 2, it says, the people who walked in darkness, stumbling around in that dangerous darkness, have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them... A light has shined. It's God bringing His light to man, His way. As opposed to man finding God on any number of different paths. And as opposed to finding God through man's traditions. I was listening to a tape today by Chuck Swindoll on this particular passage. He must have given it 30 years ago or something. It's a wonderful message. And he made the point that talking to people who've been, quote, overexposed to the things of God in church about Christ when they don't know Him is one of the toughest things there is for a true Christian to do because of, of the work of traditions, what it does to you. What happens is when traditions in a church setting have slowly encroached upon that denomination, that church group, whatever. To the point that they have come slowly, but finally fully invaded the church. To the point of cluttering the spiritual scenery. To the point of confusing and finally obscuring God Himself, Jesus Christ. When that happens, to find a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in the middle of all of that becomes... Almost impossible, very rare. It's like the guy who walked into, I think it was St. Paul's Cathedral in uh, New York. And uh, he was a pastor. He walked in, he was looking all around, and he'd grown up in a Catholic background. And he was walking through and just sort of reminiscing. And he came upon uh, one of the saints, statues of one of the saints. And there was a big sign hanging around the saint, and it said, Out of Order. For repairs and he sat back and he he just thought to himself that's just so typical the whole systems out of order once you clutter the scenery with all these traditions other than Christ you block the way to Christ and it isn't that he's not in there it's just that he's you can't see him anymore you can't get to him out of order What do you do when a saint is out of order? Well, in church, you discipline him, and he has to repent. No, that's a real saint. A real saint is just a child of God. But you get my point. Jesus comes to reveal the light of God. He is God's only light, as opposed to finding God through traditions and man's ideas of how to find God, which is what all the religions of the world are. I don't know if you've read the Koran. I remember reading it. It's very disappointing. I don't know if you've read about the life of Buddha, just pick it up the next time you're in Japan in a hotel. Because over there, they have the book of Buddha and the Gideon's Bible. And in China, same kind of thing. And I remember getting up in the morning for my morning devotion. I thought, I think I'll read a little Buddha this morning for my devotion. And I opened it up. It was just a gag. You know, my wife was sitting there. And I started to read it. I'd already read it in a world religions course, in college. And it's just so disappointing. Right from the beginning and the end is even more disappointing. You look at all of these things and you realize man has so many ideas of how to find God. God has one way to get to him. It's Jesus Christ. It's his revealed light. He is the light of the world. And that is where we must place our trust. He is God's revealed light to mankind. Then he is God's guiding light to mankind. And I love this because... Jesus personally frees you from the devil's darkness I don't know how you feel about Your life and darkness Maybe you were converted at a very young age And never lived in it I lived in it I have many many horror stories Many of you lived in it And the greatest thing in the whole world Isn't it true? Is to look back on that day in your life When you said Jesus I surrender all to you I cannot do it I cannot get free. And you just sense the voice of God speaking to your heart saying, Trust me. Come unto me. And I will give you rest. And He personally from that point begins to free you in a way that only He can. But you see, you have to take Him. You have to take Him in and let Him do it. You know... This is an amazing thing. We can study the scriptures like this. You can sit here. You can listen. You can think it through. To the point that you could even get the tape, get the notes, get the Bible and memorize all this. But if you don't come to Him, it isn't going to help you at all. You have to come to Him and let Him personally free you. Do you know that there was a point in time in Russia when this one individual was teaching a Sunday school class and wanted to get more kids into his Sunday school class. So he began to offer candy and goodies to the neighborhood kids. Being poor and everything, they immediately responded. And one little boy in particular, sort of a chubby little individual, he really responded right away. And he would come and he would listen very closely. Then the teacher would give him his candy and he'd run off to a field and sit and just snack on that candy. And he'd be back right on time, right in the same place, and listening. Over a period of time, he would give him more and more rewards for coming, listening, memorizing Scripture. As time went by, he memorized Matthew, the entire book of Matthew. He was given a big pile of candy, whatever. Then he memorized Mark. Then he memorized Luke. And then he memorized John until he one day stood up as a young boy and he recited in front of everybody for a great reward, word for word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, as time went by in his life, he lived out his life and he finally died. And they went to chisel his name in the stone on his grave. The name they wrote was Nikita Khrushchev. One of the most dangerous dictators of communist Russia they ever had. He didn't do a thing with it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me, he personally delivers you from the devil's darkness. You must come to him and let him do it. He will give you the light of life. He will deliver you. You will not walk in darkness. In 1 John 3, eight, it says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning, but for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And he has come to do that. And then he personally guides you in his light. He brings his light to you, then he guides you through this. And I love this because this is where your new life begins to take place whatever the world made you whatever your sad stories of your childhood made you whatever you were a victim of when you come to Christ the Bible says behold old things have passed away all things become new does that mean every memory is erased? no does that mean every painful thought is gone? no But in the place of that emptiness and hopelessness and all the frustration of living in that wretched, dangerous darkness comes the very life of God, God Himself, Jesus Christ Himself. And He comes to live within you and He personally begins to guide you into a new life if you will follow Him. And there you begin to realize, He said, He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I read about a man who was in Africa and he was attending, there was a missionary living there and he was attending to uh, some of the different things around the uh, compound. And as he was going around during the night, tinkering and sort of a little maintenance man guy, as he was working on these things, the missionary, he came out and he looked at him and and he said, what is with your light? And he's standing there, he's holding this light, and it was like a a little lantern, and it had a little flame flickering in it, and it was so dim. He said, what are you doing out here in this darkness with this kind of a light? He said, I know, I know, I know, it's not the brightest light in the world. He said, but you know something? It gives me just enough light to take my next step. I read that and I thought, you know what? I love that. So often we're coming to God. We want light for the next eight years. Lord, I want it emailed now. And I want it outlined. And I want you to stick a map in there. And I want a video in there. And I want testimonies. I want it all, Lord. Then I want revelation. I want John on Patmos. I want it all, Lord, now. But often He just gives you the light to take the next step. If you'll take the next step in His light, it'll be the right step. He personally guides you. And he guides you into realizing your personal full potential as a human being. One of the ways he does it is, you know, we're all so confused today about what is a man, what is a woman, what are you supposed to be as a human being? You look at Jesus on the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What you see there is a human being as God intended him to be. In every way, in every way. Fullness of perfect human being. And that's an entire study in itself. But I encourage you, read your Bible. Read your Gospels. And look at Jesus. What is He like? And you'll see that you have guidance there to achieve your own human potential. So much to say about that. But also by loosing you from the corrupting diversions. You see, God has a plan for your life. He has a will for your life. There are diversions waiting for you. I told a guy the other day who's following the will of God. I said, you might as well just expect it right now. As the end of your job is in sight, somebody's going to offer you a big promising one right before it's time to leave and go do what you feel God's called you to do. Well, it was only the other day he walked at me. He said, you'll never believe this. I was offered the most incredible job, the job I've been wanting for so long. And it has to come now when I'm about ready to leave. I said, well, welcome to reality in the kingdom. Endless diversions. Only Jesus can free you from those diversions because sometimes they're so appealing. You've got to have him and his power to loose you from those things. Romans 6.18 says, And having been set free from sin, he does it and he keeps you free and he does it by giving you more light with the passing of time. And I get that, and you get that, by reading your Bible. Now, to achieve my full potential as a human being, this is what I need to realize. I need to realize that I have blind spots. Now listen very closely to this. There are things about you, you don't know. There are things about you that you have no conception of, but a lot of other people do. Sometimes people sit back and they watch us say, I just don't know how to tell her. I mean, how do you tell her something like this? Everybody knows. I mean, we're all so aware of it. How do you tell her? How do you tell him? And then there are times when your mother tells you things only a mother would tell you. You're ugly and you walk funny. You know, something like that. No, Seriously. But your mother tells you, maybe your whole life and you won't listen. Your father tells you and you won't listen. Your friend tells you you won't listen. Then finally you come to Christ and you're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and all of a sudden you see this thing in the Bible and God says, and you're like that. That's light. And it's liberating light. And the more light with the passing of time that we receive from God like that, the more we change and we become like the Christ we see on the pages of the Bible. I thank God for that. One of the simplest, most oft-repeated prayers in my life is more light, Lord. More light. I use it when I'm reading the Bible and I don't understand something. I just kind of make a mental note. More light. I have to do it mentally because I can't read my own handwriting. If I put in the margin of my Bible, more light, Lord, I'll come back later and I'll go, what does that say? I could stare at it for hours. I can't read it. So it's a mental thing, but always asking for more light. And God shines it. I love this thought. George Schmeaton once said that, well, speaking of the life of Christ, he said, while always in contact, think about this, with sin, while always in contact with sin, Christ nevertheless continued throughout the whole of his life sinless. I think we sometimes have the picture of Jesus that he's just kind of gliding through life, you know, three feet off the ground, just sort of gliding around on some kind of a Holy Spirit hoverboard. And there's a force field around him and no stain or dirt or sin can get to him. But the Bible says he was tempted in all ways like we are. Think of you when you decide to do something for the kingdom of God, how suddenly things change in your life and you're getting bombarded by the enemy he smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter he was constantly in contact with sin because he was constantly tempted on the highest possible level always facing sin always in touch with it but never giving into it who then is the most qualified to take you by the hand and lead you into the fullness of your human potential by giving you more and more of his light While always in contact with sin, Christ continued sinless and the infection of sin never spread to Him. And He alone can guide you along in the same way. More light with the passing of time. And with the passing of time then and receiving that light from Him, your life turns from the way it used to be. You see, what sin does is it It creates a certain kind of person out of you. It sort of carves you into, if you can put it that way, a certain type of individual. And you're bent into the darkness. And we all are bent, you know, out into the darkness without Christ into different sins. But as you come to Christ, you begin to let Him personally take you into the light. What happens is He gives you more and more and more light. And you know something? Just in the course of letting that light flow in your life, your life starts to turn toward the light. How many of you here have a green thumb? You know, you're real plant people. Nobody. Fine. Okay. Silk so plants all around. I got it. Well, I've worked with plants, even if you haven't. And I have some real ones, even if you've become hard and cold and only have fake ones. But you know how you get a plant, and you can be handling it wrongly, but I did work in a greenhouse in New York City on the top floor of the building that's right off the 59th Street Bridge of the 59th Street Bridge song, for those of you that are older and know that song. Up on top, there was a greenhouse, and I worked there. And my life was driving around New York City, selling plants and working with plants. I had to learn all about plants. One of the things you learn about plants is that when a plant is in the right place, you can see a plant in a given position and over a period of days, it will turn and it will bend toward the light. Jesus comes and he works in your life to help you become who you are supposed to be and you end up turning toward His light, there is a new bent, as it were, in your life, and it's toward His light. And it's the way He's pulling you. And you don't have to be anybody else but who you are as you are drawn toward the light. That is the most liberating, fulfilling thought to me. Just let His light come into your life. Let Him pull you toward Himself. If you want the technical word, it's phototropism. That's what it is. Probably I mispronounced it, but sounds good enough. So I think then this is a quote I love to give people, just in conversation. Samuel Rutherford used to say, Since he looked upon me, shined his light upon me, my heart is no longer my own, for he has taken my heart and run away to heaven with it. He's taken my life and he's turned it in a whole different direction. Actually, Pulled my heart right on up into heaven with him. And that's the direction of my life now. That's what becoming a full human being is all about. Your full potential. To realize that and then his plan for your life. And that just unfolds from there into the gifts that he's given you. The work of the spirit within you. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. It comes all the way down into your giftedness. And if you say to me, yeah, talk about gifts. I don't know what my gifts are. Then I say, get in the light. And as you're in the light and you're being pulled further into the light, your giftedness is going to blossom out. And you will just suddenly look around and begin to realize, you know what? God works like this in my life. And He gives His gifts severally Individually distributing them to each one of us. And you know who are those? In the end, that realize the fullness of a real gifted life? It's those people who read the words of Jesus, I am the light of the world, and He who follows me. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. But have the light of life. Lord, show me my gifts. You need more light? Ask Him for more light? Follow Him. Lord, help me in this decision. Follow Him. Lord, give me more light. I want lots of light. You may only get just enough for the next step. Take it in the light. And you will find that He will take you into the fullness of a gifted life. But it comes walking dependently upon Him. One evening at a mission station in Belgian Congo... A converted native prayed, Lord Jesus, thou art the needle and I am the cotton. To the missionary, this seems strange language. So he asked the man, he said, what are you talking about? You know, you think in terms of you are the potter, I am the clay. He said, you are the needle, I am the cotton. And so the missionary said, what are you talking about? And He said, well, you know, I was uh, over at the mission school early in the day and I was watching the girls sewing. And what interested me the most is how that the thread always follows the needle. Always. The needle goes ahead, it makes the way, and then the thread is able to follow, and it always follows. And it goes wherever the needle goes. And he says, I simply want to follow Jesus like that. I think of that thread looped up through the needle and the fact that it's literally pulled. The way is made by the needle and then it's pulled by the needle. And thus it follows so closely because they're linked together. When we follow Christ like that, He is truly God's guiding light in our lives. And finally, He's God's universal light. That is basically, He's for anybody that wants to follow Him. Any man who will follow Him, any man who will follow Christ will find Him to be the light of their life. You know, I sometimes look at Moses, And I wish I could have been on the mountaintop when he got the Ten Commandments. I sometimes just wish I could have been there as a a true scribe, you know, copying out the law. I wish I was one of those kings, because when you were a Jewish king, one of the first things you were to do as king is sit down and copy out your own personal copy of the Old Testament Scriptures. Basically, so God would copy it into your heart and you would rule the kingdom from a heart filled with the truth of God's word and the light of his word. But you know, I realized something that when it comes to the law of Moses and all of that, God gave that law to the Jews. But he gave his son to the whole world. And I have his son. I have all the light He has brought to man for me in a very personal way. And you know something for those that want to say, my religion is intensely personal to me? Well, that's fine, but it's not enough. What you need is to be able to say, my relationship with Jesus Christ is the most personal thing in my life. To be able to say that is to be able to say, I have the light of the world, I no longer walk in darkness. Sin bent me in that direction. But slowly as I've come to know Him, He's turning me just by the power of His light into this direction. I'm becoming something that I never thought I could be. A person that loves God. Starting to love other people and actually loving my life. Jesus is the universal light and if you will follow Him, He will not lets you down. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for your great involvement in our lives. Jesus, flood the eyes of our understanding with your light. Even this night, we pray that you would fill our hearts with your light. Lord, give us a, a renewed hunger and thirst for righteousness that we might be filled. Lord, for each person here praying, some even agonizing over that next step, Give them the necessary light, Father. Even as they've already been praying, Lord, more light. Yes, Lord, it's me right here in this study. Lord, look, me here. More light. Give it to them, Father. And as they step out in your way, give them even more. And Lord, for all of us, mold us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Help us to follow you like the thread follows the needle. And we will be blessed as we no longer walk in darkness, but walk in the light with You. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.